What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. Alrighty, so I'm going to say this all again in case you only wanted to listen to part two of my discussion with Dan Bailey. But as I've talked about in the show before, I did do about 30 to 40 episodes of a podcast that eventually morphed into the show you know and love today. But they were a little more general discussions of drum topics that I felt didn't quite contain the focus for a kind of show I wanted to produce. So because of that, I decided to archive the first batch of shows. And while you can't find them on this feed anymore, they are still available at bigfatsnaredrum.com under the podcast tab. Just click archived episodes. All right, so this is part two of a chat I had with Dan Bailey. Dan is the current drummer and musical director for Father John Misty, but he's also a prolific session drummer based out of his own studio in Southern California. You can follow him on Instagram, and I'll put that link in the show notes. But he also has a handful of very useful online courses known as the Bailey Method. He covers everything from tuning to recording to engineering with a very boots-on-the-ground approach. And I've learned a lot from them, and they're great. I promise I'm not just saying that. Uh, anyways, this chat is a place at Dan's old studio, just a bit outside of LA, and it was my last in-person interview before the world decided to change. So, all right, here we go. Here are Dan's earned perspectives on the five things to avoid in a session when you're the one engineering drums. Number one, avoid having gear that's in disrepair. Which seems obvious, but I'm sure, I mean, there's a lot of nuances in that. Yeah, and I mean, that's both on the drum end of it. You know, like, I mean, if you were, if you were in the Tour de France, you wouldn't show up with, like, a bike that wasn't ready to go. You know, like, yeah. so you've got your old, you know, Slingerland kit or whatever, and you have a, you know, a screw that's rattly in the floor tom. It's like that, there's nothing you can do until you fix that. Old hardware where the nylon sleeves have worn out, so they rattle. You know, just, like, things that people don't, I mean, it's like buying drum cases. It's not fun. Yeah. But it's like having a bass drum pedal that doesn't make noise is kind of a big deal, you know, type of thing. And usually it's just about maintenance and throw some WD-40 on the spring and you're all good to go. You know? Yeah. Um, and then obviously things like, I, I mean, I have my spot and, and drums stay mic'd all the time. But like I'll come in every 23rd day and the floor tom, like the XLR and the floor tom mic will just be making a noise. Because yeah. it just went bad when it didn't move overnight. You know, it's sure, just, yeah. But it's just like. Oh, that cable went bad. Okay, so it's just knowing that, like, oh, this this mic has a the the power supply is making a noise. I need to check into that, or mm-hmm. just like be, just being prepared and not having stuff that you're going to have to fix rather than work on music. You know, yeah, pretty, pretty common sense. Whatever that may be, it could be on your you know on the technical end, could be the instrument. You know, sure, whatever that happens to be. Yeah, I remember. Um, I forget the actual session, but my bass drum was squeaky, and the guy, uh, the engineer over the talkback, said something about it. Yeah. And I remember I was joking. I was, like, well, hey, you know, Led Zeppelin, the famous right, right. squeak, and he, he he like paused. He's like, yeah. Anyways, can you get rid of the squeak? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, you're 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 that was, you're right, sir. That was John Bonham, and that was physical graffiti. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that may not be what we're doing here today. So. Yeah, hey, hey, Ben, um, why don't we? Uh... <laughs> ben, you realize you just compared yourself to John Bonham there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all laughing in here. You can't hear it, but uh, let's just yeah, play we the have dr- to talk back off. So. <laughs> exactly. That's the worst when you hear. <laughs> oh, but you're the talkback song. Oh, I'm always terrified of, of. Or if you're in the control room and someone else is tracking stuff, you're oh. just like, I'm just so paranoid of like looking where the engineers, whether it's on a foot switch or a hand switch, are just like, yeah, like because like I'm gonna make this joke and it's my buddy playing bass, yes. but I don't want to get, I don't want him to get out of his rhythm. Me, uh, me and a uh, engineer buddy of mine have we try to see the best double negatives we can come up with, where it's like. Man, Jake is such a good bass player, or such a bad bass player. Good thing he's always late. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. So we'll just be riffing on those while some dude is like punching a bass part or something. <laughs> exactly. And it just like there's been times it's like 
Oh, he probably heard the last five words out of context. <laughs> it's always nice to see that you know they heard it, but they never bring it up. You're like, dude, you weren't going to like <laughs> yeah, yeah, ask us on. about that? You're just going to be sad about it? Like, yeah, come, come on, on, man. man. <laughs> In the, the Bailey method, you talk about sometimes there's like an old crappy head that looks like crap. But just if it, it sounds if it good, gets changed. It's like a, you're like, Ugh. yeah, I have I have three or four drums in here that are like either the head that I received with, mm-hmm. you know, how many years ago or whatever, or just something that I like stumbled across. And I just have I'll even like Sharpie on it. Like, don't change yeah. until you have to, you know, just totally. like just to remind myself that like it's sound it's set up for a very specific thing. And it's the I mean, it's the the luxury of having. I mean, that's the, that's the bad part of the gear and disrepair is like the more gear you get, the more you have to take care of, you know, like, yeah. cause you'll go like, you know, maybe I've been playing, I've been on a tour, so I've been using like a, a, a modern road kit for a bit. And I, I know, you know, like I get home and three days later I have a session and I want to use my Ludwig kit, but I haven't played those in two months because I've been gone and it never fails. Like, oh, the heads weren't in as good a shape as I thought. Or like, there's something to be said about if a you know drums just have those like every now and then you find a magic spot and it's like if it finds something it really where it wants to be just like if it's right it's right you know do you have any like broken symbols or anything that you're like i'm so I, stoked they're broken in particular they're... have one 20 inch uh agop ohm crash that is the that has like a five inch crack around the bell okay because those i mean I, I was playing one live for a little bit and you know you play a dark symbol live you tend to hit it pretty yeah, so you know you, you yeah. try to get something out of it which means you're probably breaking them so it's not ideal yeah but for whatever reason you it, when you hear it with your ear it sounds terrible it, it's it's the level of broken to where it has the like weird rattle and it doesn't decay even it's mm-hmm. like it's terrible sounding but for whatever reason like if i'm playing anything uh, that has any kind of like electronic element Oh, something totally. about it like in the room mics it sounds like some crazy sample that like it, it sounds like a like a weird pitch down 808 crash or something like that absolutely and it has a thing that a regular like it was not designed to do that but it just how mics hear it it's just a yeah. weird thing and so like i could i mean i could swap it for a fresh one but sure. like it just i'm just gonna play it till i can't play it anymore and then yeah know. the keywords disrepair because what you just described, yes. I don't think is something that needs to be it, broken. Doesn't mean in disrepair. No, it, it's yeah. functional. It's usable. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's more like a if you have a snare drum with like three of the snare strands have broken and are flopping around on the bottom. Yeah. that's disrepair. That's just exactly. like you can't record that drum because you're just going to get weird rattles and like overtones because the drum's out of balance. And yes, yeah, 100%. that's that would be a disrepair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, number two. So, uh, yeah, I wanted you to embellish on this thing. Uh, trying things you haven't on a session. Yes, yeah. Are, are you referring to playing mostly, or... Mostly engineering. I mean, okay, also yeah, okay. playing, for sure. Uh, like, I would, I would, you know... The only... Uh, Playing-wise, the only thing that would have any application for me is if I got, like... Like, I just got called recently. I played on kind of a, a ska record that had some, like, punk sensibility. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow... Like, I missed that. I just was never in a garage punk band. And I kind of sure. kind of wish I was at some point. <laughs> but those tunes where you have to play the... You know, for, like, yeah. that's the verse part. And, you know, it's yep. just like, I need to spend a day and, like... Because it's not... I mean, it's it's... You know, things like that are a little bit of a parlor trick. It's just like a blast beat is just, like, a thing you can teach yourself to do. Mm-hmm. Like... That double, the double pickup kick in the punk beat is just you're just dropping your foot, and it's just like it, it looks like more than it is. It sounds like more than it is. It's not that difficult, but like I'm not going to walk into a session where that's not a music I ever play, and just yeah. like now I'm going to immediately know the vocabulary. I like I listen to the freaking specials and <laughs> save Ferris and just a bunch of like rando ska stuff, yeah, and just like what's genre specific, you know, mm-hmm. just like you know, and just which. 
you know, which and which version of it? Are we we talking about like, you know, we talking about like seventy ska? Are we talking about like mighty mighty boss tones like pop ska? Are we talking, you yeah. know, like, but it, it's spending time with that. I mean, th- that would be a time that preparation is necessary because like I yeah. don't I don't know that, so I wouldn't walk in and try to play something that I haven't ever done in my life on a set like when money's on the line. That's just not fair yeah. to them. It's, I'm not making myself look great. Sure, but mainly, I mean. So obviously the playing part, mainly I mean engineering in this case, like now it's one thing to like you set up the drums and you just put a mic down and it happens to sound great where it is. That's if you stumble across uh, on something rad, Mm -hmm. but to go in and go like, man, I'm going to try this new way to do two a kick out and kick in and I'm going to try it today on this set. It's like do that on a day when no client is there Mm -hmm. or no one's waiting for you and like. Oh, and you'll you'll immediately go. Oh, this sounds great. Now I know I have another trick to like go to if I need to. Yeah. But also, if it sounds bad, I didn't waste anybody's time or money. <laughs> you know, like yes, yes. So I would, yeah, I would say like, you know, sometimes weird things are, you know, oh man, what if we reamped the drums on this song? You know, like put a fifty-eight and then run it through like a Fender Twin and then mic that or something. You know, it's like sure. cool. You should probably learn how to do that first. <laughs> you yeah. Should probably practice doing that so you don't spend all day figuring out how to do it. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just that just. I try to like not reach for things I don't have confidence in that they're going to work. But do you, is it a, is it a question when someone is having you send them uh, drum tracks? Like how many stems do you want? Like, or do they just say we want this vibe and you're like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a three mic I mean, setup. I go, or? So I go, t- I go 12 most times, even if I know sometimes that they're making choices. Like, like I'll have a, like I have a stereo room pair and I have a, you know, a mono room that'll be, maybe the stereo rooms will be really far mm-hmm. and the mono, you know, they will be 12 feet and the mono room will be four feet. Mm-hmm. And that's just to get different vibes. Usually they're going to pick one of those. They're not going to use both. So even if they go like, yeah, man, I think this could just be kick snare overheads. If you have a multi-mic setup, you should send them everything just because it gives them options. They can always mute it or not, not import it into their session, but like having, having the options that like maybe, the tune, you know, they track, they start tracking other instruments and now the drums like don't have the size they needed. Now they'll bring up the bigger room mics or something. Sure. You know? So like, yeah, I, I just go and in the, in the classes I walk through it, but I, I just usually record 12 channels, just kick in, kick out, snare, bo- you know, top and bottom, pair of toms, pair of overheads, pair of rooms, mono room, hi-hat, if I, if I named those correctly. But yeah, just like, I- but that's just like good the basics. Me. You got the close mics. You got some options for rooms. That's all you're ever going to Would be. you ever do, um, like, say what you just said and mm-hmm. then also set up, like, a Glenn Johns and sure. then just be like, this is all the stems, only solo these three mics yeah, for yeah, this? Sure. And I, I would say that most of the time you, you end up having a, you know, a conversation with whoever's producing. And usually if you're doing a remote track, they're usually engineering too. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like... Yo, hey man, are you gonna like lean on the rooms? Because mm-hmm. then I'll treat them different. If like if the room mic is gonna be the thing, I'm gonna spend my most time getting that to sound cool. Yeah. And then the the close mics will take care of themselves. Whereas like if it's gonna be super close mic heavy, then like I'm still gonna even if it's like a Tame Impala thing, there's no room mics. I'm still gonna send them because who knows they want to affect them and like low pass them and bring them in underneath everything. Yeah, or totally. Who, who knows what a mix engineer is gonna do? Mm-hmm. So giving them the options to do it is cool. Even if they use they might use the freaking kick and the mono mic. That might be the take. You know, like yeah. But they're going to be stoked they have a full range of stuff, you yeah. know, even if they only use a couple things in it. For like sure. an engineer is going to say, don't send the coals. I don't think we need that. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, please. Like, uh, yeah, I'll take those if you got them. Yeah, exactly. I'll do something with them. <laughs> those guys uh, usually like to have options. Yeah, yeah for totally, sure. yeah. 
Hey, y'all. I wanted to... (laughs) I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three-position strainer, 42-strand wires. It's lovely. It's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember... Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour, and I didn't keep it, and I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time, and I just kept thinking about it, and so the opportunity to get it again was presented, and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum. Check it out. Reach out to me. Go to Vessel Drum Co., the Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co. and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. Uh, number three, don't force a drum, microphone, or any piece yeah. of gear onto a song, which is, yeah. I've definitely done that. Yeah. Probably still do. Oh, oh, I, I, I find myself. <laughs> or on a like, tour, too, yeah. Never fails. You know, you get a new piece of gear, you get a new ride, you get a new snare drum, whatever, you get a new drum kit, you automatically, or, or you know, engineering, you get a new mic pre or something. I guess that's a little, if you get like a, if you you buy a uh, a Neve 1073 for your your snare, that's gonna work from day one. You know you don't need to. Yeah, mess with yeah. It. But like, I'm I'm more talking about like, man, I just finally broke down. Say I finally broke down and bought like a, a Tama Bell Brass, like something I've never had. Not usually my thing, but like, but then I go to the singer songwriter session. Like, man, I just got this Bell Brass Studio Monster. I'm gonna use yeah. it on this track, and it's like, well, we're playing Hot Rods, man. So this yeah, is not yeah. you know like. This is a brushes track, so that may not be that vibe. Sure, but like, and in a younger day, I would be like, "No, that's the sound I have in my head. Let's try to make it work." Yep. And inevitably, it's just like, just toss a freaking acrylite up there, and like, just be done with it. Like, yeah, it's not in my bank account. Things, it's going to be on the track. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the things that work are the things that work, and like, really, it's just like if you're recording, you know, if you, your band's recording their record on Saturday, and you went to freaking Chicago Music, music Exchange and bought a drum on Friday night. Like that drum may totally rule, but also like yeah. go in with the open mindedness of like it may not sound the way you think it does, and don't try to force it to, to yeah. make it happen. Well, and so much is like uh, uh, like we were we were talking a little bit before about how I don't have a particularly heavy foot. Like yeah. I don't. Certain people lend themselves to to certain drums. Like I, I know about myself, I don't hit a snare drum hard enough to really activate a bell brass. I just mm-hmm. I just don't. Even when I'm playing rim shots, I'm just not. I don't have the, the the horsepower to really activate a freaking thirty pound drum shell. <laughs> but but like whereas that. you see like Josh Freeze or like Davey Litch or any, any of those like Matt Cameron play, I mean, it's sure. just like it's like oh those dudes are strong as hell and like yeah those dudes are playing the drums like all right yes and like and when they play it's it just a lot of it is it's not even just the drum because you know 
if somebody goes and buys a freaking you know Lita Reliance or whatever from the 30s, that drum's probably going to sound really cool. Mm-hmm. It's just like does that does that drum sound cool when you play it? Is that like for me? I know a bell brass doesn't sound cool when I play it. Like it sounds all thin and a little small. But then like somebody else might sit down at the same drum and it sounds amazing. And oh, it's just well, like, that's yeah. So hence hence just you know use just stick to the gear you know. Like even if you if you've gone like man, you know what I really like? I really like one of the new 14 by six and a half acrylites. You know, I, I want to get one because that's a sound I, I like and I know I'm going to get to use it. It's one thing for that. It's like when you're buying something sight unseen that doesn't have like a universal reputation, you know, like it may or may not work the way you think it does. And so like forcing, you know, it's, it's a, just a square peg round hole situation. It's yeah. like, you know, sometimes it's just, man, I know the old Ludwig kit's just going to work. I'm not going to try to get the new modern kit on this because it's just not, I'm, we're going to spend time messing with it when the three ply kit would have immediately just been it. One of the better examples is the uh, Oakletree's t- when he's talking about how he set up Bonham's kit. It's, it's on YouTube, okay. and, and they have like a 1973 Green Sparkle, 14, 16, 18, all the video, sizes. Yeah, yeah. And he goes like, "Here's when I was tour teching for Led Zeppelin. Here's how I set up this kit." And they have a kid play it at the end, and I mean, it, it definitely sounds like John Bonham, but it sounds like a dude doing John Bonham. And it's not even that the playing mm-hmm. the playing is incredible. He just isn't doesn't have the physicality of that guy. Like it's yeah. just he's a different. He probably doesn't have the same frame. He's probably not playing the same size stick. You know, it's just sure. like there's so many. Probably not four double vodka sodas in. <laughs> Maybe that could be some of that. You know, like, yeah, it, there's there's just different, you know, we're all we're all different. And so, like, that, I mean, I talk about it in the second class a bunch is that, that like, magical thinking of, like, man, as soon as I get this instrument, then I'm going to have that sound all the time. It's like, for, uh, a great example is Matt Chamberlain's snare drum on, on One Headlight, the Wallflowers record. Oh, yeah. Which, which everyone, which I, I've heard on pretty good authority is a, is a 14 by you know, three, seven, five, Noble and Cooley, you know, solid maple with the die cast hoops. That sounds familiar. Cause yeah. that sounds like, and in my head, that's what that kind of sounds like. Yeah. I had always thought it was a little more like nickel over brassish, like old twenties. Yeah. And so like I've, I had that, I bought that Nick, uh, the Noble and Cooley drum and it's the Phil Collins snare drum. He loves that Noble and Cooley piccolo. It rules. Okay. Yeah. But like, it never sounded like the thing I wanted. I wanted it to sound like one headlight and yeah. it doesn't. But it, to me, the way I hit a drum, a 20, nickel over brass does sound like that mm-hmm. so it's it's not even that like you can get the same model drum that was on a track but if it doesn't kind of interface with the way you play it the same it's not doesn't you know it's not 100%. gonna sound the same and something else might sound dead ringer for that you know like yep. and you don't know until you find it and that's why you experiment with your stuff and practice and all I that know. stuff gosh you having a room like this would be drummer's dream it's, it's pretty great to have like a combo storage unit slash recording space just to be able to like have everything here if I go to a session, you know, I'm probably going to have to pick a kit, maybe two kits, a, a couple of snare drums, a bag of cymbals, you know, like, you know, yeah. whereas like if I do stuff here, it's like, oh man, you know, it'd be great. That specific snare drum that I probably wouldn't have picked as one of the four or five I'm going to take. Yeah. But for this track, that's set up to do the exact thing we want. But, and, and being able to be in your own space, you have everything that you own kind of in one spot is pretty great. What would you say is your percentage of nowadays traveling to sessions and doing them here remotely oh i, I do 90 percent of my stuff here that's, ugh, that's so nice yeah. so it, it's just because i think when when you think about it especially if it's for somebody's like first ep or if it's especially for a tv thing where budgets are kind of thin it's like if you think about it we're, if you're going to any kind of real studio in los angeles you've got you've got to pay for the studio you got to pay for the engineer you got to pay for the players you gotta mm-hmm. pay, i mean you're, you have so many mouths to feed yeah whereas like if it's just about me knocking you out a 90 second track that sounds like you know foo fighters mm-hmm. you know, it's like you're not you know, you're my rate is a flat rate so you're not paying for studio separate you're not paying me separate as an engineer and a player yeah. you're like i mean financially it just makes a ton of sense the sure. bummer is i mean engineers are the ones that are getting squeezed out is the 
is the bummer. And, and so anytime I get to work with on a session with an engineer and I'm not engineering, I'm just like trying to soak up all their little, you're like, sure, man, what, what mic placements have I seen? You know, whatever. Hey, the just market's the market. I mean, totally. And, and just yeah. like, you know, we all, and I'm sure the engineers are like, oh man, he tuned his floor tom a certain way and that was cool. And I'm going to remember that for, you know, yep. whatever. We're all, we're all learning stuff from each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I would say that like just the way workflow is now, it's, it's so common. I mean, the big studios are, are, are hurting because we either do it in, you know, drums in places like this or at the producer has their own studio and has a drum kit and they do it at their, you know, yeah. their detached garage or their basement or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it sounds freaking great. You know, like the amount of rest, you know, uh, albums being done in, in, you know, basements in Nashville that sound unbelievable. It's just out of, out of yeah. control because the gear is so good and people know what they're doing. You know, it's, Absolutely. it's not, I mean, having a great space is great, but like if the player, if the sound source is good, if your player and your, your instrument sounds good, you kind of can't mess it up. So. What are your views on, 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 on samples? And would you ever like not completely oh, re- oh, sure. replacing, I, but enforcing, you know, certain. Yeah. I, I, I look at it like, I honestly look at, at samples a lot of the same way I look at, uh, you know, like the, the big fat snare drum itself, like the, yeah. the thing. It's a tool. Yeah. It's like any anytime I see, I, I get bummed out when I see people from like default putting a big fat snare drum on their snare drum all the time. Sure. It's like, no, that that's a sound and it's a great sound, but, and it's, it's to differentiate from other sounds. It's like, it matters 100%. when like... That big beefy sound sounds cooler when before it had this big wide open sound. It's a samples are a tool. Like it, yeah. it's it look if, if I'm playing, you know, if I played on something and they're going like, yeah, this is gonna be like Billy Eilish and we just want like a live some live drum elements in there, mm-hmm. I know my kick and snare are gonna get replaced. Yeah. Like and and knowing that going in, I'll even engineer them different. I'll make them really dead mm-hmm. so that they're not hanging out over the samples and stuff. But it doesn't it honestly doesn't bug me at all. It's just a it's a it's a tool. Now, when samples are being used because your kick in is terrible sounding, that's a bummer. Like when it's being used as a fix, like a big fat snare drum being used because otherwise the snare isn't sounding like a snare drum, that's a bummer because that's, you're using yeah. it as a band aid. So that would be, you know, I know if if, if you're going to be playing on something that's like big and modern, there's probably going to be a snare sample on it just because that's the way of the world. Yeah, and that's totally fine because that's and that's appropriate to the kind of music you're playing. Yeah. Now, if you're if you're playing on like what should sound like some really tight three mic drums and you're like tr- you're laying samples on that that's like well that seems yeah, like that's, here, yeah. that's a band-aid that's not a you know sure look the state of songs usually when we're playing drums on them it's nine times out of ten it's like there's a scratch acoustic there might be like a bass track on it you know like they yeah. might have had some program drums and there might be like super sparse piano there's just you know usually it's like vocal and whatever the like core rhythm instrument and, exactly. and nothing else so it's like why am i going to make make the track all about the drums i have to leave the assumption that there's going to be freaking 30 other tracks on this you know mm-hmm. like there's going to be you know probably stereo rhythm tr- you know rhythm acoustic tracks there's probably stereo rhythm you know, rhythm electric tracks there's probably a main electric part there's probably stereo keys you yeah. know like there's so much taking up real estate that like you just have to be kind of have the goal in the in the back of your head like mm-hmm. what is this going to sound like eventually and yeah. the more you do it you the more you start to hear it and go like oh this way I'm treating the drums is cool when it's just drums. As soon as other stuff, they're going to get lost. Like, they're too yeah. open. Like, when you have, like, you know, if you have really wide open drums and you're going for really natural, the track better be built around that drum sound. Yeah. Because those drums don't play well with other things. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you know it's going to be, it's going to be a, a loop going on, there's going to be some other stuff, then, then you know, like, oh, maybe I'm going to go tight drums because it plays, you can stack stuff on it. So, basically, all that is to say is just don't, don't be so concerned with the drums as a finished product at the top. Like, yeah. just learn what good raw sounds sound like and trust that they'll sound good at the end, you know? 
I mean, by the by the fourth or fifth thing you've played on, you'll you'll start to be like, oh, okay, so it sounds like this at this state, and yeah. then it gets to here, it's still like semi mixed, and so these are like the reference mixes that they're sending people home with to check out. Like these are like kind of faders up, nothing's really treated exactly. So like it's going to sound a certain way, and then it's going to go to mix, it's going to get a little more manicured, you know. Like there's yeah, but you just learn like here's a fundamentally good kick sound, and mm-hmm. that's going to be great. Like, yeah. here's, here's what a good snare drum sounds like when you bring the fader up. Awesome. You know, like, yeah. And I know they can, they can do with what they, what they want. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to listen to the end, especially with like a, a bad scratch track, because they, they, they're thinking like, yeah, th- this is all throwaway anyway. We yeah. We're just knocking one out to you know, whatever. But it can be, I do find it's more inspiring to play on songs that are more built out. For 100%, sure. 100%. Uh, and, and they're easier just cause you kind of have a better idea of how much real estate the drums are left, you know? Yep. Cause a lot of times now it'll be like a pretty fully built out logic or Ableton session or something that'll have some like marker drums that will then mute and then play. And then I, I, I imagine a lot of time if they can get away with it, they're going to keep all the rhythm tracks they can. Usually you have to recut bass kind of in general, but yes, but if the guitars are still locked and you can play to those, then it saves them time and mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, I, I, just when when it's really sparse at the beginning, it's just remember to not make it all about the drums for sure. And I because it's, it's so easy to do. It's it's such a common thing, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. So number five, no to not give people too much, too many options, too many takes, too many. Yeah. This yeah. is specifically because obviously, if you're in a room, if you're at a studio, uh, the the producer is going to know when they're good, you mm-hmm. know. But this is like it can be tough because there's obviously you know physical and literal distance between you and the people you're doing remotes for usually. Yeah. So it's like, I like to go, Hey, like, so I'm going to work on this Thursday at two. Like that's going to be my window. And so I'm going to be working on this probably from like two to six. If you can be available, you know, Pacific time or whatever. Yeah. If you can be available, cause I'm going to like send you a bounce and make sure we're on the right direction. You know, I'm going to check in with you. Sure. And you might go like that. Yeah, that's great. Hey, that second verse is not kind of the thing I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like I, I need feedback to know where to go. Yeah. Um, and so having you know feedback from your client in, in real time is pretty important. But also not giving them too much is when originally I would like, you know, because you'll there there are times where people will be like, yeah, man, you, you know what this is, or like do whatever you want, and I'll give them three takes, and they're like, that yeah, that was great, you know, whatever. Yeah. We you know the ones that are hard to mess up, you know. Yeah. And then the ones that are a little more specific, or they have specific parts or sounds or something. I mean, you very well, I may end up doing nine or ten takes, you know, or, or more. I know for some of the, the misty stuff we've cut here, I've, I've done way more than that. But, like, but just knowing, like, so you're getting closer. Take ten is going to be, should be closer to the res- desired result than take one. Yeah. So you don't have to send them take one. Unless they yeah. specifically go, hey, there was something in drum, you know, reference bounce one that was really cool. If they specifically like something, I'll send it to them. Yeah. But otherwise, if you if you did ten takes, I just send them, like, eight, nine, and ten. Like, yeah. Because they don't need to be digging. First of all, it gives you a way to kind of take some control over how much they can comp you. Mm-hmm. Because I've been the victim of some terrible comps where, oh, like, really. I've gotten a record back. And this is way before I started doing remotes. But just in general, uh, I've just gotten something back and been, like, full-on, like, kind of embarrassed that it has my name on it. Just because they've oh. it's, it's been so turned around from what I actually played. Have you ever done that? I have, I have been asked to have been uncredited a couple times. Yeah, because there were just things that, like... And it wasn't even like, I was never mad. It was just no, like... No, there's a few times hey, I wish I, I would have. Yeah. Like, I don't know that that's quite a good example of what it is I do. You know, I mean, we're talking like twice. And one of them was I had some pretty significant belief differences with one of the artists. Okay. And, and okay. like the session kind of went a weird place because of that. It's the only time it's ever happened. Sure. But that was one. It was like, you know, the record came out pretty good and stuff. And, and they liked, they ended up liking the drums and stuff. But it was one of those like, 
just because I wasn't I wasn't on board with like the direction of his whole thing. Sure. So it was just like, man, I'm, I'm happy to play drums on it, but I don't know that. Like, is, do you mind if I? And, and yeah. No one ever. It's all about how you approach it. Well, and it. no one, no one <laughs> exactly. looks at Yeah. And we're all dude, we're, half the time we're like just doing stuff for hire. Everyone knows it doesn't reflect on us. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do the best I know how to do on a tune that maybe. I think is really great or like could be better, but I'm just going to do the best I know how. And, and it always turns out cooler than I think it will. It always does. Cause they, yeah. they have a better idea than what I do for what their music should be. And you know, like, and it's, it's like, and it did turn out well, it means no one's going to hear it probably. And it's That's fine. The, you know, it's like, it's kind of a, it'll work itself. Oh, out. the old, the old, uh, all the good records have no budget and all, exactly. the, all the bad ones have all the budget. Yeah. <laughs> Since the beginning of time. Yeah. Oh, so uh, I, I want to get this on, on both the episodes. Yeah. Where can people find you? And I definitely want you to give a little shout out to your, your instructional course. Sure. Uh, so you can find me at uh, Instagram, you know, dot com backslash D Richard Bailey or at D Richard dot com. And through there, you can find links to Vimeo where I've put up uh, two classes now. One is specifically like what we were talking about showing up to a session with a kit that's ready to go. I take my an old Camco apart because I, there really what hasn't been... Uh, I couldn't find at least a, a place online with like kind of actual tuning stuff in like actual studio environments, like people that kind of actually do it. In real and this time. is not a knock to anybody else doing it. I just yeah. thought there was a thing that I thought that would be beneficial in real time. Mm-hmm. So that like, because when you're, if somebody goes, here's how you tune a rack tom, flash forward to it being done, I don't know how long it took. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because that, I think the, indication of how long something takes to do for someone who does it all the time is a pretty good indicator of how close you're getting to having a real grasp on it yeah like if you see me tuning you know a rack tom and that i think that segment from you know setup and everything is 20 something minutes yeah you know that like oh this should take me i'm gonna you know if you're like if the edges have a sand rough spot and you're gonna sand them down a little bit if you're gonna like vaseline the edges you know all stuff i talk about normal drum tech stuff yeah if you're gonna do that stuff is like it's gonna take 15 minutes to do that to that drum so if it's taking you 30, you know you're gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you took if it took you 3, there's something you missed, you know. I, yeah. I think the time frame is actually like a pretty important part of that. So class 1 is just like, man, intros to like basic mic placement, how I set up a kit, how I rehead it, how I like maintain an older drum kit cuz they all have the, like the little quirks and stuff. And then just like putting those drums as we just tuned them up on mics and I give you my like you know my engineering settings mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not hiding anything and it's just like here's what if you set up a drum this way a microphone's going to hear it this way yeah and so it's just a real like a, a good way for hopefully people to realize like when they're recording their own sounds like oh yeah that kick in sounds kind of like mine that means i'm in and i like that that means i'm you know getting yes. there you know yeah, yeah uh and then class two goes into more specific about like hey if i'm going for this kind of approach if if they go like hey we're going we want tame Impala drums. Like, what does that mean? You know, like, yeah. it's because it's not just a tuning thing, it's an engineering thing. And I, yeah. may, I have, may have to, like, change how my space is orientated, might have to put up some more blankets and deaden some stuff. And yeah. uh, just all the all the extra stuff that's just, that's not just basically putting a mic on a drum. Like, yeah. in that, we talk about, like, a couple different mic placements I like to use on, on close mics and, like, how I measure overheads, all kinds of stuff. But just, like, the basics, one is the basics of how to set up and, like, have a, a functional kit ready to go and what you can expect when you get to the studio. Yeah. And tra- and two is more like, okay, now they want this snare sound. How am I going to go about having the the tools I need to make, you know, make my drums more the way they want, you know. Cool. Yeah, man. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thanks for having me. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. 
it helps more people find the show so it'll get bigger and better and hopefully i'll have a chance to sell out one day but you'll be an og listener that can brag to all your friends anyways why don't you go and check us out at bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on all the socials just search for big fat snare drum and you will find us the show is edited in part using isotope rx audio editor it's amazing so go check that out at isotope.com and thanks again to gunner olson for the theme music bye